Hello. Today is April the 10th, 2023 on this, the fourth episode of Shut the Fuck Up. I'm your host, Alvin Timms. Thank you very much for joining me on this journey, on this exploration, on this rant and ramble of a psychotic lunatic. I'm Alvin Timms. I'm your host. Here's what we've got in the news today. There was a shooting in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, The Pentagon leaked documents to provide a window into the depth of the U.S. intelligence uh, going on pertaining to the war in Ukraine. The Dalai Lama apologizes for a shocking video to ask a child to suck his tongue. The Chinese military is ready to fight after drills near Taiwan. The Pfizer CEO signs a letter in support of the FDA after a federal judge suspends the approval um, of all new drugs from Pfizer. The GOP plans a crime hearing in the latest anti-brag push. Five-year-old girl was shot and killed on a California freeway. The Pentagon and the DOJ are investigating a Ukrainian document leak. An aircraft carrier seals off the island of Taiwan. And uh, some more crazy shit. Just like every other fucking day. Yesterday was Easter. Uh, Ishtar. For those of you who are not Christians, if you are Christian. Uh, yeah. For your day of resurrection of the Christ was yesterday. Um And to me, the resurrection of Christ symbolizes something uh, entirely different. It is a a symbolic um, starting a new season, not just in your, your, uh, you know, spiritual and religious quest, but also in your life, um, which means this is the season to plant seeds that you can harvest in the next cycle. Um, If you look at... um, you know, followers of uh, Muhammad, um, they have a week-long fast. Then that fast ends with the Raj, which is the big feast. Um, and to me, it's very symbolic that, um, and also most Orthodox Christians will have um, Good Friday, which is the Friday that Jesus was crucified, and then they celebrate Easter, Um which is his resurrection. So they give up things on Good Friday. They um, give a penance to Jesus and they make a sacrifice to acknowledge the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. Um, And then Easter Day is the day to celebrate the day that he arose from the dead. And to me, that's very symbolic of um, the passing of your old life and being resurrected anew in Christ and starting a new life. So for me, it's very symbolic and it's a very reflective time. It's a time for me to give up old ways and rededicate myself to my faith and my religion. Um, Well, not religion because I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Um, So it's a very symbolic time. But 
It's uh, April the 10th, so let's get into the news. Our story from today. The Dalai Lama apologizes for a video of him kissing a young boy from CNN. To India now, where the Dalai Lama has apologized after a video showing him kissing a young boy triggered backlash on social media. It happened at an event in northern India in February. The Dalai Lama's office says His Holiness, quote, regrets the incident. Vedika Sood joins us now live from New Delhi. I think, Vedika, anybody that's read the book, The Book of Joy, with Archbishop Desmond Tutu knows that um, the Dalai Lama can be a joker. But I think there's no surprise that this has caused outrage, consternation all across the internet and beyond. And severe backlash for the 14 Dalai Lama as well, Julia. People have called it outrageous. They've called it inappropriate across social media after that clip emerged Sunday evening local time here in India. I want to take you through the sequence of events. And I want to make it very clear that it's extremely disturbing for our viewers to actually watch that interaction between the minor boy and the Dalai Lama in northern India. Now, this incident dates back to February this year. And what we can see in the video is the boy going up to the Dalai Lama and asking for a hug. The Dalai Lama then calls him on stage, invites him on stage and also asks him to give him a kiss on the cheek along with that hug and the boy obliges. Moments later you are you see the Dalai Lama then asking him to kiss him on his mouth and then he brings in the boy's cheek, a chin rather, and he kisses the boy on the mouth. Now this is disturbing enough. And then seconds later, the Dalai Lama asks the boy to actually go ahead and also uh, suck his tongue. This is extremely disturbing for people across social media and otherwise. It's led to a lot of backlash, like I mentioned, because of which six weeks after this incident, and mind you, not before, the Dalai Lama's office has now come out with a statement where they've said that the Dalai Lama regrets the incident. And I'm going to read a bit of that press statement as well. It says a video clip has been circulating that shows a recent meeting when a young boy asked His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, if he could give him a hug. His Holiness wishes to apologize to the boy and his family as well as his many friends across the world for the hurt his words may have caused. Interesting to note that they're talking about the words and how it may have hurt people, the words and not the actions that you see in that video. That's been the only reaction we've got yet. We did put across a lot of questions to the Dalai Lama's office, but they only responded with the press statement that they have put out, which then, then continues to read, His Holiness often teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before cameras. He regrets the incident, clearly for a lot of people across social media. This is more than just teasing. It has upset huge sections of people on social media, on Twitter, that have called it, like I said, uh, absolutely disappointing, absolutely disturbing, and absolutely inappropriate behavior by the Tibetan spiritual leader. Right. Hmm. The Dalai Lama's apologized after telling a young boy to suck his tongue at an event in northern India. This is just fucking weird. He's 87 years old and he's asking a very small child to suck his tongue. Some news refers to Tibetan culture about showing your tongue to people, but this video is certainly not 
about any cultural expression, and even if it is, such cultural expressions are just not acceptable. The Dalai Lama is the principal spiritual leader of the Yellow Hat School of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, he's revered by millions of people as the reincarnation of his 13 predecessors. He apologized after a 2019 interview with the BBC where he said if the next Dalai Lama should be a female, that she should, quote, be more attractive. Okay, that's actually kind of funny. I don't know, man. Like, it seems like a lot of these spiritual leaders, quote, uh, these, quote, spiritual leaders all end up being pedophiles. It's just mind-boggling to me. So, is that the case with this? I don't know. Share your thoughts. Let me know how you feel about the Dalai Lama sticking his tongue out and telling an underage boy to suck his tongue. Let me know how you feel about that. Because, uh, to me, it's just weird. China, China, Taiwan, and an aircraft seals off island on the third day of drills. China's finished three days of military drills around the island of Taiwan, which included sealing off the island and simulating strikes. Wow, that's kind of scary. Taiwan said it's detected jets to the east, while China said its Shandong aircraft carrier had taken apart. Beijing began the exercises on Saturday after the Taiwanese president met the U.S. House Speaker in California. After these drills ended, Taiwan's defense ministry said it would not stop strengthening, strengthening its combat preparedness. The drills have not been as big as those that followed Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei last August. Uh, Taiwan considers itself a sovereign state. China sees it as a breakaway province that will eventually be brought back under Beijing's control by force if necessary. So basically, China is ready to go to war to bring the island of Taiwan back into um, the, the Chinese Republic. Monday... China said its drills had ended successfully. Taiwan's defense ministry said it detected 12 Chinese warships and 91 aircraft around the island. Although China's Eastern Theater Command has announced the end of its exercise, the Taiwanese military will never relax its efforts to strengthen its combat readiness, said the defense ministry in a statement on Monday. A map of flight paths released by Taiwan's defense ministry showed four J-15 fighter jets to the island's east, suggesting that Chinese military is for the first time simulating strikes on the island from the east rather than the west where China's mainland lies. Analysts said as likely the jets had come from China's Shandong aircraft carrier, one of such two carriers that it possesses, which is currently deployed in the western Pacific Ocean, about 200 miles from Taiwan. The Chinese military confirmed on Monday that Shandong had participated in Monday's exercises. It said fighter planes loaded with live ammunition had carried out multiple waves of simulated strikes on important targets, meaning they are getting ready to bomb the ever-living fuck out of Taiwan. And Taiwan is um, a U.S. ally. Taiwan considers itself to be a sovereign nation, a self-governing body, China says, no, you belong to us, and we'll take you back if we got to kill all you motherfuckers. Um, and, of course, America, you know, we're going to come in with our big swinging dicks and our multiple billions and billions of dollars of equipment and be, uh, 
not happy about this. Japan's defense ministry said on Monday that Shandong had also conducted air operations in the pre- preceding days. Jet fighters and helicopters took off and landed on the carrier 120 times between Friday and Sunday, said the Japanese ministry. Russian government spokesman Dmitry Peskov said in an audio post on Telegram that China had the right to respond to what he said were provocative actions against it, meaning Russia is supporting China against us, our supposed allies. Russia is supporting China against the United States in this action to take Taiwan back. So basically right now there is a dispute that Ukraine is a sovereign nation and Russia is trying to take it back, which, by the way, the United States meddled in that and started this. This is a territorial dispute between Russia and Ukraine that has absolutely nothing to do with the United States of America. Therefore, we should not be involved anyway whatsoever. But yet we're sending billions of dollars and we're sending guns and weapons and ammunition and everything to Ukraine as since we are allies with Ukraine, they're expecting us to fund their fucking war against Russia. And of course, America being who it is, We're always itching at war for Russia, which I don't understand why. It is what it is. So they've outlined the flight paths that these Chinese planes took off of the aircraft, and it looks to me as though they are indeed circling the island of Taiwan, and they're ready to attack Taiwan from different angles. And if you get on uh, the BBC, you can see I will drop the link to this in the comments or in the description of this podcast so you can see it. And if you look at it, they've straight up built a fucking wall around Taiwan with their aircraft carriers and um, where they took off and how they landed. It shows they're definitely planning um, they're definitely planning attacks on Thailand. Washington repeatedly called for China to exercise restraint following the meeting with Kevin McCarthy, the third most senior U.S. governmental figure. Beijing has warned the U.S. and Taiwan of resolute countermeasures if this meeting took place. China announced drills after top foreign leaders um, whom it was hosting, including the French President Emmanuel Macron and the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen have left their country. Mr. Macron left later, has urged Europe to not get dragged into a confrontation uh, between the United States and China over Taiwan um, in remarks that have attracted some criticism. On his flight out of China, he told reporters that Europe risking getting caught up in the crises that are not ours would make it harder to build strategic autonomy for Europe. Um, Mrs. Tsai recently returned from a 10-day trip to U.S. and Central America, and this precedes um, these drills. Ms. Pelosi's high-profile visit to Taiwan in August, while she was the U.S. House of Representatives Speaker, who, by the way, um, is one of the most powerful people in the United States, was followed by four days of unprecedented military drills, which China's Um, fired ballistic missiles into the seas around Taiwan, so they're literally shooting missiles 
at Taiwan into the ocean um, when Pelosi was there. She is the highest-ranking U.S. official to land in Taiwan since the 1990s. Some analysts say much military exercises may have a diminishing impact over time. To maintain the same fear factor, China will ramp it up bigger and bigger each time as their actions will have a normalizing effect after a while, said Ian Chong, a non-resident scholar at Carnegie China. Taiwan's status has been somewhat ambiguous since 1949 when the Chinese Civil War turned in favor of the Chinese Communist Party and the country's old ruling government retreated to the island. President Xi Jinping has said that a reunification with Taiwan must be fulfilled, meaning China assumes it's theirs. So here's the basics on China and Taiwan. Why do they have poor relations? China sees the self-ruled island as a part of its territory and insists it should be unified with the mainland by force if necessary, meaning China will um, partake in warlike activities to gain back the island of Taiwan. How is Taiwan governed? The island has its own constitution, democratically elected leaders, and about 300,000 active troops in its own military force. Um, there are only a few countries that recognize Taiwan as its own governmental entity. Most recognize the Chinese government um, the U.S. has no official ties with Taiwan, but does have a law which requires it to provide the island um, with means to defend itself from China. So we've got war in Ukraine, Russia attacking Ukraine, America sticking their nose in it like they always do, um, and also China trying to regain control over the Taiwanese island, which if there's military action taken, of course the United States is going to step in because um, that's what we do, right? We occupy, quote, occupy foreign nations, which then means you're technically owned by us, right? And we use these things strategically as launching points. That's how we ended up with Hawaii and Alaska. Um, we purchased Alaska from Russia in, I believe it was the 1940s, um, late 30s, early 40s, we purchased Alaska from Russia. And the only, I think the only reason why we purchased Alaska was to have uh, bases close enough to where if Russia starts popping off, it's a strategic location. But America's always running around being the fucking world police, acting like, you know, these squabbles between other countries are our business when it's not. I really don't think it is. Will it have some sort of impact on us if China attacks Taiwan? Maybe or maybe not. I'm, I'm not a military. Listen, I was in the military, but all of these things were way above my pay grade. I just took my orders and did what the fuck I had to do. Um, I don't think it's a good move for us. We're already currently involved in somewhat of a dispute with Russia, which hasn't come to military action as of yet. Um, I do think if things continue the way that 
they are currently, we may be engaged in an active campaign against both Russia and China. And I don't think our military can handle it at the moment. I really don't. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing. Um, I don't think this is good for the United States. And I don't think we should be involved in either of these conflicts because they're territorial squabbles. But I'm not, I'm not a politician. I can't tell you what their motivation for any of these things are. We can get into the conspiracy theory behind. Um, if you want to talk about that, you know, um, in the description, there's a link you can hit. You can send a voice clip. You can leave um, comments. Um, you can call in. We'll talk about it as to what you think about the current situation. Uh, between the United States, Ukraine, Russia, China, all of these things. Uh, personally, I think we need to just keep our noses out of it, mind our own business, um, make sure we have a well-equipped and ready military force in case shit comes to our home. Like if if they start trying to attack mainland America, if they start... Uh, moving their chess pieces closer and closer to our side of the board, yeah, we need to slap the fuck out of them and let them know, hey, look, we ain't the ones to fuck with. Because right now, I think, um, with the transition in power between Biden and with Trump handing power over to Biden, a lot of these countries see America slightly weaker because they don't feel like Biden is a strong leader. They feel like he's a pussy. And right now, a lot of major powers are kind of like poking us with a stick like ah, ha, ha, what are you going to do and they're testing us they're testing our resolve they're testing our everything they're testing us right now they want to see if we still about that life you know what I'm saying <laughs> they're trying to see if we still got it you know they're testing our gangster right now and we may have to slap them you know um but warfare is different now than it's ever been before. Now the majority of warfare is digital. We also have drones. We, we can get 15 nerds with fucking Xbox controllers in the desert of Arizona to send fucking, you know, drone strikes all the way across the fucking world. And we can blow up a bunch of shit, you know, without having to send troops on ground, right? We can also attack them. Uh, we can, and there's, there's a map of all of the cyber attacks that are going out from America and the ones that are coming in, and it shows the constant back and forth. Um, and we're always being cyber attacked by other countries that are our enemies, and we're constantly attacking them back and forth, um, trying to get information on them, them trying to get information on us, trying to gather and acquire intel as to what military capabilities each side has so that we can assess the situation and be like, all right, what do we need to do now? Do we need to, you know, fund more nukes? Do we need to fund more planes? All that sort of shit, which a lot of people are just going to flat out tell you that, um, all of this is kind of pointless. But the fact of the matter is we live in a world now that is very, um, undetermined right where other countries have nuclear capabilities and 
we're treading a very fine line here um, with the balance of power, military capabilities, and things that are possible that it could lead to total global destruction based on the emotions of the leaders that are central in the focus. So if Putin gets a hair up his ass, right? And a lot of people, I think, are misinformed about how nuclear launch codes actually works. Actually work. Normally what will happen is, um, because this was the way that it happened when we launched our nukes into Japan when they attacked us at Pearl Harbor, right? And this was the first instance of this happening ever in the world. So that was kind of a special case, right? And the, the protocol for launching the nukes, quote, launching the nukes and pushing the button is not just the president decides, okay, launch the nukes. There's a process that goes into it, um, and it is not just he pushes a button and then the fucking nukes go off and they hit targets, right? That's not how that works. Um, <coughs> basically, there's there's a process where there will be conference calls and meetings and all of these things, and then they will decide whether to take nuclear action. Um, and then the way that I understand it is that has to pass through like the UN um, and other governing bodies to decide, okay, you can deploy nuclear weapons against this, um, and there's a vote that happens, and then the nukes get launched, right? From my understanding, that's how it works. I don't know if that's how it works or not. Fucking Biden could be sitting in his office, you know, playing with a yo-yo, eating a fucking ice cream cone, and then just, like, bump into the button and the nukes go off. I don't know. That could be how it works. I don't fucking know. There literally could just be one button the motherfucker presses and, boom, he blows up all of Russia. You know, which I really hope that's not the case because they're... America is a country that was established, and America's not a country. It is a constitutional republic made up of alliances of states. And no, America is not a democracy. A democracy is everything is voted on this, that, or the other. America is a constitutional republic with democratic representation, um, which means there are supposed to be checks and balances. If the judicial arm does a thing, it gets checked by the legislative um, and the executive branches. If the executive branch does a thing, there's checks and balances to where there's not unequal amounts of power in each individual branch. And I don't think that the executive branch or the judicial branch um, should be able to just launch nukes and throw us into a fucking war. So I don't know. And um, with September the 11th and everything that happened there, we started giving more power to the president in the form of executive orders. And that's, I don't think that's the way that executive orders were designed to be, but that was kind of what happened due to, due to nine 11 and those events. So presidents have been using executive orders more and more and more and more instead of, um, the older process, which was they present a bill that bill, then goes before the House of Representatives and the Senate, and then the judicial branch will make it a law. Um, they've been using more executive orders, and there are certain things the president has power to do and certain things that 
have to be checked by uh, Senate and Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate before it can be done. And it seems to me that they're blurring the lines of what the president can do in the form of executive orders for military action. I know he has the um, authority to command the Navy SEALs and the Marines without Senate's approval, which is somewhat bothersome because um, that means that drones, the president can send a drone attack without consent of Congress um, because all they have to do is assign the drones to either special forces or the Marines. Um, so that means the president can give direct orders to certain special for forces um, units. He can literally give an order to the commander of a special forces unit, and then the special forces unit can say yes or no, or not say yes or no, but pretty much they'll come up with a plan to do what the president is asking them to do based on the orders, and then they go do that. Right, um, which traditionally it has to go if the so if the president wants the armed forces to invade a country, what would happen is they would sit down with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they would present it before Congress, um, they would come up with a plan, and then Congress and Senate will vote, and then it'll happen. So that was how we went into Iraq, right? The president is like, we need to do this because of this. He brings his military advisors in. Military advisors come up with a plan and a strategy. And then they put it to a vote before the Senate and the House. They vote, and then off to war we go. And it seems like since 9-11, um, especially Obama was very, very drone active. He sent tons and tons of drone strikes to various places. And literally all that takes is a stroke of the pen from the president, I believe, uh, with the executive orders. I'm not an expert on all this stuff. This is just what I think. If I'm wrong, please send in a voice note. Um, call the number that's in the description. We'll have an actual conversation about it. We'll talk about it. Because I'm not an expert in that. I don't know. I've done a little bit of research, but I don't consider myself to be an expert in that and how that exactly works. But it looks like we're about to be um, pushed to our limits in a military capacity, which with hyperinflation, unemployment rates, um, and the general economic climate that's going on in America right now. Now is not a good time for us to get into war. I really don't think it is, but I don't make those decisions. Uh, it's way above my pay grade and always will be unless I run for office. Um, and if you guys want me to do that, just say something, I'll do it. But one of y'all has got to fund the campaign. So, <laughs> but yeah, we could be, uh, and a lot of analysts have said, if certain things happen, we may be embroiled in a, in World War III and have an actual war going on. Um, I don't know. It seems like America goes to war every 12 to 25 years anyway, and it seems cyclical to me. And 
I just I get tired of that shit. The whole military industrial complex is just very frustrating for me. And I was involved in it. I was a part of it uh, for the better part of my adult life. And I don't agree with a lot of the decisions. All right. But as a soldier, it is not for you to question why it is for you, but to do or die. So you take orders and you do your fucking job and you don't ask why. Um, yeah, you're, you have the ability to question it, but you better be very, very careful about the questions that you ask because you can get in trouble. Um, and I was never afraid to ask questions about things, and I was never afraid of trouble. Never have been. I've never shied away from trouble at all. But um, there's been a lot of debate as to whether or not if if the government implements martial law, will the military enforce it? If Biden was to enact martial law, meaning the military now controls the country, would the majority of soldiers do that? And I think, personally, the answer to that question is yes and no. I think they will do their jobs, but I think they will be more on the side of the citizens and the public because soldiers are citizens first. When you join the military, you take a vow to protect this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You vow to uphold the Constitution first and foremost. You do not vow to just take the president's orders, okay? And not, I, I, I personally believe 99% of the military know this, respect this, and honor this. Um, that, I mean, those are part of the army values that get drilled into your head. Is that our job is to protect this nation and our constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So I do not believe the military will ever go around locking up civilians uh, because the president calls for martial law. I don't think that's a thing. Now, I do believe that if there are suggestions made of, hey, listen, we're about to get attacked by Russia, that the government will do things to help protect its people from that, meaning, hey, dumbass, get the fuck in your house. Motherfuckers are out here shooting, blowing shit up. And, like, if you don't listen to that and you get killed in the process, like, you become collateral damage, well, you should have fucking listened to the dude that was telling you hey, evacuate your house and go over there. And then if you don't do that, well, then your death is on your own hands. It's no longer on the military, um, which a lot of people tell me I'm a fucked up dickhead asshole for thinking that, but that's my fucking opinion. Um, if you want to be one of these, oh, give me liberty or give me death, motherfuckers, well, then be ready for death when that comes. Um, and I am a give me liberty or give me death, motherfucker. I'm e pluribus unum. 1776 all the fucking way. Um, but I know that if there's military intelligence that tells me my house is about to be drone striked at this time and I don't fucking leave just because I want to be a hard-headed dickhead, right? I want to be a pain in the ass and, ah, oh, liberty. Well, when my house gets blown up by a fucking drone, that's my own fault. So it is what it is.
The U.S. believes Israel can be pressured or persuaded into changing its stance on Ukraine and providing lethal aid according to a leaked Pentagon document seen by American media outlets. The document titled Israel Pathways to Providing Lethal Aid to Ukraine is one of a trove of documents from the Pentagon that were posted on several social media sites and appear to detail U.S. and NATO aid to Ukraine but may have been altered are used as part of a misinformation campaign. The document is one of several relating to Israel, including another document that alleged that senior Mossad officials encouraged spy agency members and citizens to protest the government's judicial overhaul plans. The accuracy of that document has been denied by the agencies themselves and has been questioned by experts. There are a lot of things happening in Israel um, right now within its own civil um, type of things. Uh, most, mostly um, their disputes with resident Palestinians. The document regarding possible Israeli arms supplies to Ukraine was a first um, that was reported by CNN, which said that Jerusalem likely will consider providing lethal aid under increased U.S. pressure or a perceived degradation in its relationship with Russia. Israel has now resisted providing weapons to Ukraine following Russia's invasion in February 2022. One major reason for Israel's hesitance appears to be its strategic need to maintain freedom of operations in Syria, where Russian forces largely control the airspace. The New York Times on Sunday also reported on the document saying, it is an exploratory analysis and dated on February the 28th. The document laid out four scenarios for getting Israel to, dis to supply defensive and offensive military hardware to Ukraine. According to the report, the document assessed the most plausible path would be for Israel to adopt the Turkish model, which would see Israel sell missile defense systems through a third party, while publicly calling for a peaceful end to the conflict and offering mediation services. The document also said that growing Russian supplies of arms and technology to Iran, U.S. pressure on Israel tied to halting Iran's nuclear program, or Russia causing Israeli casualties by firing, in, by firing on the IAF warplanes in Syria, could lead to a shift in Israel's stance on providing arms to Ukraine. The Times reporter also detailed the weapon systems the U.S. wanted Israel to supply, <laughs> including the Barak-8 and Spider surface air-to-missiles and Spike anti-tank guided missiles. Ukraine has long demanded that Israel supply it with weapons, particularly anti-missile defenses. A recent report said that there's been a recent shift in Israel's stance with a decision taken for the first time to authorize the sale of defensive military equipment to Kiev. According to the Walla News site, which cited three Israeli and Ukrainian officials, Jerusalem approved export license for two Israeli companies to sell electronic warfare systems with a range of about 25 miles that could be used to defend against drone attacks. Russia has sent thousands of Iranian-made suicide drones to attack targets across Ukraine, particularly power stations and other crucial infrastructure. Israeli officials told Walla that the approval of the export license was not a shift in policy because the systems are defensive in nature 
and do not use any live fire that can kill Russian soldiers. So basically they're saying, no, we're taking a defensive stance, saying Ukraine has the right to defend itself. So they're sending defensive technology without live ammunition. The U.S. has been pushing Israel to increase support to Ukraine, apparently including supplying weapons to Kiev, according to the reports. Western countries have poured weapons into the Ukrainian military as it holds up the Russian advance. At the beginning of February, Russia warned Israel against supplying weapons to Ukraine. Israel's refusal to send weapons has contributed to the perception that the Jewish state has staked out a neutral position on the war. As the war progresses, Israel has increasingly insisted that it is in fact on Ukraine's side, providing over $22.5 million in humanitarian aid and setting up a field hospital to treat wounded Ukrainians in the early days of the war. In February, it voted alongside 140 other countries um, for a UN General Assembly resolution drafted by Kyiv calling for Russia to withdraw all of its forces inside of Ukraine. The first month of the war, Israel sought to use its unique position, um, enabled by its close working ties with both Russia and Ukraine, to serve as a mediator between the two parties. The then Prime Minister Naftali Bennett flew to Moscow and held a series of calls with Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, and the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, over a span of several weeks. However, the effort failed to bear fruit, and Bennett shelled the initiative altogether with his own political position at home worsening. Netanyahu Netanyahu pledged before entering office to review Israel's position and also speculated that he could be called on to mediate between um, both sides, as Bennett tried to do. In response to the leaked document, a senior Israeli official speaking on the condition of anonymity, he was not authorized to discuss the assessment publicly, but told the Times that Israel had taken a very clear stand in support of Ukraine since day one and had decided to focus on humanitarian aid to Ukraine. The document was the second that related to Israel. The other document uh, related to alleged Mossad support for the anti-overhaul protests um, that, are, that are happening in Israel right now, um, and they have vehemently denied these claims with experts saying it appeared to be a case of misinterpretation. The Prime Minister's office issued a statement on behalf of Mossad calling the reports completely false and absurd. The leaders of the spy agency advocated for Mossad officials and Israeli citizens to protest. The new Israeli government's proposal judicial reforms um, included several explicit calls to action that decried the Israeli government, according to Signals Agency. The New York Times and the Washington, Washington Post Post both reported on this, um, and they cited a Pentagon document dated March the 1st. The memo cited by the reports is unclear on how Mossad leaders advocated for these protests, but said efforts began in February. The information was labeled as FISA, indicating that its collection required approval from a federal judge as mandated by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. The use of signals intelligence, the interception of communications for information gathering, could mean that the United States obtained its information through an act of espionage against its closest Middle Eastern ally being Israel. 
Senior U.S. officials cited by the Times acknowledged that the leaked document appeared to be legitimate briefing material, though one appeared to be slightly altered. The Times acknowledged the document may not be accurate, even if they are authentic. The documents are among a trove that were leaked and posted on sites such as Twitter. They're labeled as secret and resemble routine updates that the U.S. military's joint staff would produce daily but not distribute publicly, which meaning these are the things that go out to uh, brigadier generals and top echelon military leadership, um, just providing them um, with military intelligence reports um, so that they know how to properly train their troops and give directives to their organizations. So right now there are protests going on in Israel because um, they're proposing different, uh, they're, they're proposing a lot of changes to the way that the Israeli government operates because of humanitarian protests as to how the Palestinians are being treated in Israel. Um, they feel voiceless unheard, so the Palestinians are protesting for equal representation in the Israeli government. And Israel doesn't want that to happen. Um, Israel thinks Israel is for Israel. And there's still a dispute over whether or not Israel is an independent sovereign nation um, or whether it is a territory owned by Palestine. So there's also that aspect going on to all of this. But it seems as though from reading this article that the military, the U.S. military is looking for Israel to be more of an active part of the war in Israel. Israel is saying, hey, look, this ain't our fight. Um, we're on the side of Ukraine, so we'll send them some money and we'll send them some defense, defensive shit, but we are not sending our sons and daughters to die in this territory war between uh, Russia and Ukraine. We got our own problems, which is really smart on part of the, which is really smart on part of Israel, and I think that's a stance America needs to take more um, of like, hey, yo, look, we're not getting involved in this. Uh, we believe this is our belief. Uh, we'll give you some money and some stuff, but our hands are clean of this. Oh, me. So yesterday was Easter, right? I don't really, I mean, I'm look, hey, look, I'm married. I don't have any kids. Um, and even the marriage situation is yet to be determined. Um, so yesterday was Easter. I spent most of the day just thinking and reflecting on things that happened in my past, where I'm at now and where I want to go in the future. And I'm kind of undetermined as to what I want to do at all. Um, with anything, to be completely honest. And I don't know where my life's going. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. But I'm kind of in a weird place right now where I'm just living in right now. And... There are parts of my life that I'm happy with. There are other parts that I'm not happy with. And I'm just very introspective and very reflective. And 
I'm also in therapy and treatment for PTSD and mental health issues. Um, and this podcast is fun. I like doing this, but I also think I need to start a podcast that's focused on issues and topics and mental health, addiction recovery, those sort of things. So I'm most likely going to be starting a podcast in that niche and in, in that realm um, because I think that's something that not only will it help me, I feel like it'll help a lot of people, right? Like this is the fun, cool, oh, this is me like being ir- ir- irreverent and sharing my thoughts about current issues that are going on from kind of a comedic perspective and just shit talking and having fun. Um, and I don't take this podcast very seriously at all. There's no advanced editing that goes into this. I literally hop on, I record clip by clip as I have ideas, and then I post that shit for the day, right? So there's this is not work, okay? Um, this is just kind of me blah, blah, blahing into a microphone <laughs> um, and just kind of having fun talking about shit that's going on in the world. Um my distrust of the government and conspiracy theory and current events and topics of things that, you know, the, the 24 hour news cycle, this is my 24 hour news cycle about stories that are happening, that are relevant, you know, and to be completely honest, most of that is I'm going to be flat out blunt with you is to just get traffic. Like this is just to grow the audience. This is, to do things that I know will generate traffic, which will then in turn generate generate revenue for my media production company, which will then allow me to be able to make documentary films, to do these hard-hitting investigative things in areas that I care about, like human trafficking, like um, the case that's going on in, in, in Massachusetts of widespread pedophilia and child abuse by the church um, things like that and to be able to contribute to organizations that I care about um, and all of that so I don't know let me know if you think that's a good idea if that's something that you would be interested in um, I have personally I will interview people and um, and I'm not, I think the format of that, I want to make it a live call in show to where you can ask questions. Um, and we can talk about things. If you want your identity to be not revealed, then we don't have to um, reveal your name or any of your uh, personally identifying information. You can remain anonymous. Um, if you would like, if you don't want your voice on, you can just send in um, comments and we'll talk about that issue um, and all of that. So if that's something that if you would be interested in a mental health related podcast, addiction recovery, anything like that, um, let me know, you know, uh, shoot me a voice message if you think that's a good idea, if that's something you would listen to, because I'm going to be honest, I've got plenty of time to do those sorts of things. I'm not beholden to cash. I have plenty of money. Well, not plenty. I always would like more money. Who wouldn't, right? Like, shit, man, I want a yacht with a helicopter pad on top. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I would like to have super nice shit like that, you know? Like, insane amounts of money where I could go to the club and make it rain, you know? Help support those local 
single mothers and fund their kids' college fund. No. Um, but, yeah, that's an idea I had. Don't know if you guys are down for that or not. If you are, um, you know, reach out on social media. Say, hell, yeah, I'm down for that. I'll listen. Um, or you can send a voice clip here to the show by the link that's provided in the show description. It'll say that this is where you can send in a voice clip or you can answer the poll or reply on the podcast itself that, oh, hell yeah, that's a thing I'm definitely down for. Um, I'll show up, I'll support, I'll share it with friends, all that sort of stuff. If you're down for that, let me know. Four people were killed and eight were injured in a shooting at a downtown Louisville bank. The shooter was also killed. So I deliver to the hospitals downtown uh, some of their environmental service product. I got a call from my wife panicking that she was locked in the vault, that there was an active shooter in the building, and called 911. By the time I got a hold of 911, they were already aware of it. I was approaching the scene right as the first officers were approaching the scene. Uh, no time wasted. They attempted to breach the building first. They were unsuccessful on the first breach. They backed off pushed us back. We got people out of their cars in the middle of the street. Uh, and then we saw another round go back into the building. We heard multiple shots and then everything got quiet. That's when ambulance started arriving, fire, so on and so forth. What uh, Walt kind of described where she uh, working the bank So she's at the bank uh, at this building. Uh, their protocol is to get into the vault. Of course, that's a secure location inside the building. Uh, they had a phone inside the vault. She was able to reach me. Uh, I haven't heard about her co-workers yet or anything, but I have talked to her and seen her. She's fine. So if everybody follows procedure, everybody else should be fine. Uh, just a very traumatic phone call to get right at 8.30. Uh, but LMPD has done a great job closing the scene off, and they went in immediately. Very impressive to watch from the street. What's the name of the bank that she works at? Uh, she works at Old National Bank. And can you just describe the feeling? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've never. Uh, I've never been a part of this, no. Uh, you know, you watch the news, you see everything go down. You think of how you would handle this situation if it arose within your family. Me and her have had that conversation several times. Uh, hit the panic button, go to the vault. Don't fight, don't do anything. Lock yourself up, hide, and let it go. Wow. Good job to the Louisville Police Department. Congratulations to you. A big shout out to Louisville Police Department for handling this very, very, very uh, tense situation very, very, very well. So it appears that four people are dead and at least eight others were wounded after a shooting Monday morning at a downtown Louisville bank, which happened about five hours ago at 8.30 a.m. at Old National Bank on Main Street in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, police said that when officers arrived around 8.30, not far from the Louisville Slugger Field, they encountered an active shooter inside of the bank. Officers exchanged fire with the shooter, who, poli who police say appeared to be an employee or a former employee of the bank. It's unclear if the shooter died from police gunfire or if they killed themselves. Eight people are being treated for wounds including two police officers. One Louisville Metro Police Department officer was critically injured 
and taken for surgery to the University of Louisville Hospital. Police have not released the names of the shooter or the victims. It's unclear what exactly led to the shooting. The investigation is ongoing, and police are urging residents to avoid the area. Police said there is no active danger to the public at this time. Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg said the city has set up a family assistance center for anyone involved in the shooting at the Kentucky International Convention Center um, at 3rd and Market Entrance. So if you're in Louisville, um, you can go to the Kentucky International Convention Center on 3rd and Market. Um, the entrance will be on 3rd and Market. The, the mayor said that victims and family members um, should go to that location for updates as to what's going on in the investigation. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir got emotional during a press conference. Um, he said that he had lost two close friends in the shooting. He also said that another friend was injured and at the hospital who he helped who he hoped was going to be okay. Um, he said, this is awful. I have a very close friend that didn't make it today, and I have another close friend who didn't either, and another one is at the hospital, and I hope he's going to make it through. In a video provided by WLKY, multiple loud pops that sound like gunshots can be heard from someone screaming active shooter at the bank. Uh, here is that video. Uh, from this video, it looks as though um, the man who was interviewed earlier, whose name is Caleb Goodlett, who is an employee of CentOS that delivers things to the hospitals in the area, was the one in this video screaming, there is an active shooter at the bank, get out of your car. So he helped police um, to direct people away from the bank to keep them out of the way. So good job, Caleb. Um, Mr. So Goodlett. I Congratulations. Thank you very much. You did the right thing in this situation. Um, you helped keep people away, steer them away. You didn't interfere with police action. You, sir, are a stand-up fucking citizen. <sighs> President Biden tweeted, Once again, our nation mourns after a senseless act of gun violence. Jill and I pray for the lives lost and all who are impacted by today's shooting. Too many Americans are paying for the price of inaction with their lives. When will Republicans in Congress act to protect our communities? I understand that the president has to say something about these issues, but all of the finger pointing really pisses me off. He's blaming this on responsible gun owners. He's blaming it on Republicans instead of blaming it on the piece of shit that took a gun to a bank and started shooting people, okay? There needs to be a level of personal responsibility assumed for things like this. And yes, Biden and liberals generally are pushing for more gun reform, which I don't necessarily disagree with reform, but I also believe in my constitutional right 
to bear arms. I am a firm supporter of the Second Amendment, and I am a firm supporter of everyone being allowed to protect themselves. Um, I don't know. This is a very sad situation. Um, but I would like to give um, a hand of gratitude to the Louisville Police Department for all their almost immediate action in this situation and their expert handling of this. They've clearly been very well trained and very well prepared, and I think that the Louisville Police Department did a great job. There were citizens um, like um, the gentleman who helped direct people out of harm's way, um, Mr. I deliver to the hospitals downtown. Uh, she was locked in Caleb, the Caleb Goodlett, um, whose wife works at the bank there in Louisville where this active shooter incident was happening. Um, Caleb, um, I would like to say thank you very much for being a great citizen and a great human being and doing what you did to keep people out of harm's way. Watching this video, you're visibly um, shaken up, and this is... I can't even imagine how I would feel if my wife called me and told me there was an active shooter at her place of employment. Um, so, Caleb Goodlett from Louisville, Kentucky, thank you very much for what you did. It's very, very good to see that there are people that have level heads that can react very well in these situations. And I would also like to commend the Louisville Police Department for their handling of this situation. Um, their fast response time. Um, and this is an ongoing investigation as to the motives behind this. Um, and please, if you're in Louisville, stay out of this area. And if you do need, um, if you think or believe that one of your family members or someone you know may have been involved in this, they have set up... Um, a family assistance center at the Kentucky International Convention Center. The entrance to that is on the third and market entrance. So go to the third and market entrance of the Kentucky International Convention Center, um, and that is where they will be providing updates for family members and friends of victims. My heart goes out to everyone in Kentucky, um, in the city of Louisville, that has been affected by this. I'm praying for you. Um, the founder of Cash App, Bob Lee, was killed. It's unclear if Bob Lee's stabbing was random or targeted as San Francisco was rocked by an attack. Many unanswered questions remain about the fatal stabbing of Cash App founder Bob Lee, with San Francisco police saying it's too early to say if the attack was random or if it was targeted. He was stabbed in San Francisco early in the morning of the 4th of April, making a chilling final 911 call where he pled for help and revealed the gravity of his injuries. In an audio from a police scanner obtained by NBC Bay Area, a dispatcher tells responding officer, there's a male screaming, help, someone stabbed me. The police dispatcher then added, uh, then added, advised he is bleeding out. Police arrived six minutes later at 2.40 a.m., to find Mr. Lee suffering from two stab wounds to the chest outside of a luxury residential building on Rinkin Hill 
in San Francisco. The 43-year-old was rushed to San Francisco General Hospital, but died soon after. The San Francisco Police Chief William Scott told CBS News that his officers were chasing promising leads and vowed that he was 100% sure that the murder is going to be solved. However, the city has been rocked by yet another attack when former, former San Francisco Fire Commissioner Don Car- Carmion, Car- Car- when the former San Francisco Fire Commissioner was brutally beaten to death by a man armed with a metal pipe in the Marina District. So far, this is what we know about the murder of the Cash App founder, Bob Lee. A high-profile tech entrepreneur, Bob Lee, was stabbed to death outside of an apartment building in San Francisco early on Tuesday morning. Um, his grieving friends and family have confirmed. The 43-year-old was found at 2.35 a.m. outside a luxury high-rise apartment on the 300 block of Main Street, no Rinkin Hill and Bay Bridge with life-threatening stab wounds, the San Francisco Police Department said in a statement. The tech executive was treated at the scene by first responders before being rushed to a hospital where he died from his injuries. No arrests have been made. They do not know who stabbed Bob Lee. A tech CEO has been murdered, and Elon Musk blames San Francisco's horrific rise in crime. Is he right? Bob Lee, the founder of Cash App, was stabbed to death in San Francisco in what appears to be an apparently random early morning mugging on Tuesday, according to his friends and colleagues. He also served previous roles at companies Square and Block, is being mourned by members of the tech community in San Francisco, including Twitter owner Elon Musk, who vented about his frustrations um, revolving around the city's violent crime. Many people I have known have been severely assaulted, Mr. Musk tweeted on Wednesday. Violent crime in San Francisco is horrific, and even if the attackers are caught, they are often released immediately. San Francisco has been struggling with street crime and inequality, but it's safer than many cities in America, according to some reports. Bob Lee was a genius tech visionary killed in a horrific act of violence. His nickname, Crazy Bob would suggest, uh, was someone with a sense of humor. He was a genius engineer, a serial innovator, a loving family name, man, and lots of people are mourning the loss of the Cash App creator. He had a kaleidoscope mind who moved seamlessly between different circles of friends, wrote Josh Goldbard, the founder and chief executive of MobileCoin, uh, where Lee worked as chief product officer since 2021. Pick a topic, and Bob would be right there with you telling you all of the ways he thought about the idea already. He had a way of seeing the world that was enchanting. He was a visionary in so many ways. The former fire commissioner was badly injured in a brutal attack. He was beaten to death by a man with a pipe. They don't know whether this was a random blames liberal politicians for 
the murder of the Cash App founder. I'm a registered Democrat, and I feel confident saying liberal politicians are ruining San Francisco. Officials are releasing statements to reassure the public about the city's safety. This seems a little off to me, this whole story of him being... Um, and like he's not a like Bob Lee was not a celebrity, right? Like unless you're involved in the tech space, you may or may not even have known who this. I didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew who he was, but it's not like I would have recognized him on the street or anything. So, um, but I find it really odd the timing of this happening uh, because of the Fed Now platform that's being launched. The government is trying to launch its own platform that's pretty much like Cash App, right? Which I would assume that Mr. Lee had some sort of utility patent or something on the technology behind Cash App, um, which, if that's the case, uh, this is really weird, okay? I'm not saying he was murdered by the government. Don't freak out and think I'm suggesting the government had him murdered. Um, I don't rule that out necessarily, but we have zero evidence into that. It looks to me like poor Bob here, uh, crazy Bob, as he was called by a lot of his friends and family, um, was leaving his apartment at an odd hour, which that's none of my business. As an American, you're free to come and go as you please. For all I know, he was going to get a coffee or a sandwich or his toilet was clogged and he needed to go to the gas station to take a shit. I don't know. That's none of my business. Um, but he was tragically murdered in the street. And apparently this is a problem in San Francisco. Um, the former fire commissioner of the city of San Francisco, I can't pronounce his name and I don't want to butcher it out of respect for him and his family. Um, but he was beaten to death by a man with a metal pipe in the street. So there's reports of several violent, vicious attacks happening in the city of San Francisco. So clearly they are having an issue with violence in the streets. Um, and a lot of people are blaming it on the liberal politicians that allow these criminals to be released, which means... You have violent people in this area with very little enforcement of law. And it's sad that that's happening in San Francisco. But this is what happens with liberals and liberal-ran cities. It's happening all across the country in every major liberal-ran city in the country. Violence starts to increase, um, and bad things happen. Republicans are infighting, as usual, among all political parties. Um, a headline from CNN Politics says, Senate Republicans confront the 2024 primary challenges and Donald Trump's influence. Uh, Carl Lake, an unapologetic supporter of former President Trump and vanquished candidate for Arizona governor, 
privately made a trip to National Republican Senatorial Committee headquarters in February, where she discussed the prospects of shaking up the map and running for Senate. Lake, who has faced blowback after pushing baseless accusations of election fraud, has given this suggestion from the NRSC officials, shift to more effective messaging and away from claims about a stolen election, according to some sources familiar with the matter. The meeting, which was described as a positive one, focused on how Senate bids often turn on issues that are different than governor's races, multiple sources said. Top Republicans quietly acknowledged that Lake could become a front-runner if she runs in the primary, hoping to steer her towards a viable campaign if she mounts one, even as Arizona's Pinal County Sheriff is expected to soon jump into the race while the independent Senator Christian Kirsten Sinema actively prepares a re-election bid for herself. And this is just in one state, the Arizona race, is one of several landmines the Republican leaders are navigating as they work behind the scenes to avoid a repeat of the 2022 debacle that saw weaker candidates emerge from contested primaries only to peter out and collapse in the general election and hand Democrats a 51-49 to Senate majority. Several of those candidates were backed by Trump and the NRSC as they run at the same time by Florida Senator Rick Scott, who opted to stay away from Republican primaries. The NRSC, run by Senator Steve Daines of Montana, has taken a much more hands-on approach to primary elections, actively working on candidate recruitment and vetting. The committee is weighing whether to spend big bucks in primaries to help root out the weaker candidates, um, a move that is risking setting up a clash with hard-right candidates who aligned themselves with President Trump. You need to learn from your past mistakes. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, who is a close Trump ally, told CNN, if you don't make adjustments doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome, that's insanity. <laughs> Privately, Danes of Montana has spoken multiple times with Trump and has been in touch with his eldest son, Donald Trump Jr., while national Republicans point to the NRSC's early endorsement and fundraising for Republican Jim Banks in the Indiana State Senate race as an example of how the party's warring wings can try to avoid these messy primary situations. The goal, the GOP source says, is to keep Trump aligned with Republican leadership, even as the former president has furiously attacked Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in the aftermath of the Capitol attack on January the 6th, 2021. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell himself has stayed silent amid the former president's indictment on 34 charges in New York. Danes, however, has been a very vocal supporter in the defense of former President Trump. I have a very good relationship with the president. We talk, and it's no secret, we've been friends for a long time, Danes told a CNN reporter when he was asked about the Senate races. He provides a great amount of insight, and I provide my thoughts as well. We have open lines of communication, Dane said. Wherever we can find common ground, it's a good thing. That relationship could be put to the test in key battleground states. Um, West Virginia, Republican leaders are preparing to close ranks behind Governor Jim Justice, who is seriously weighing a run for the seat occupied by Democratic 
Senator Joe Manchin. A justice bid would put him against Alex Mooney, who had won Trump's backing in a competitive House race the last cycle, but now has the support of the conservative club for gross political arm in Pennsylvania. Doug Mastriano, a controversial candidate who lost a bid for governor last fall, had the support of Trump in the primary, say he's still praying on whether to mount a bid for Senate, something Republicans in Washington are worried about. The NRSC plans to put its muscle behind the potential candidacy of David McCormick, the hedge fund executive who narrowly lost Pennsylvania Senate GOP primary in 2022. According to the Republican sources who view them, who view him as their best bet at picking up a seat in the Senate next year. I haven't decided on 2024 yet, but I'm thinking about it, McCormick told CNN. You run for office because you think you have something to contribute. You think it's a moment where you might be able to serve, and if you lose, that motivation doesn't necessarily go away. In Montana, Matt Rosendale, a member of the hard-right House Freedom Caucus, is weighing a run in a race that could put him up against two other potential candidates viewed by senior Republicans as more electable. Uh, The current Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen and a businessman, Tim Sheehy, um, who may or may not be running against Democratic Senator John Tester. Um, Matt Rosendahl attended an event last Tuesday in Mar-a-Lago following Trump's arraignment in New York. A sign one Trump advisor saw as an effort to secure an endorsement ahead of his bid for Senate. Uh, Rosendale told CNN he's in no rush um, to make a decision. We're taking a nice slow time to let people in Montana decide who they want to replace him with, Rosendale um, said of Tester. I feel very sure he will be replaced. He added that Danes is my senator and that I see him regularly. Tester contended that the Republican nominee makes little difference to him. He doesn't really care. I think the person who runs against me is the person that McConnell chooses. Whoever that is, I don't think it matters much. It's pretty much the same election. Top Republicans say they will have to make key strategic decisions on how to engage in some of these races or whether to stay out of them altogether, as they might in Ohio as party leaders view the emerging field as full of electable candidates against Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. If they come in too aggressively, it could prompt blowback and rally the right behind a potentially weaker candidate. If they completely disengage, they could see their favorite favored candidate struggle to gain traction. In Wisconsin, Republican officials are urging Republican Representative Mike Gallagher to run, though he could face a potential primary there as well as form as, as well as former Senate candidate Eric Hoved and others way a run. Gallagher, who is chairing a House panel focused on China, said of a potential run against Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin, I'm not currently thinking about it at the present, citing his legislative work and family commitments, but he has left the door open. I've never conceived of this as a long-term thing. I don't think Congress should be a career, Gallagher said. I'm going to weigh all of these factors and see where I can make the best impact. People are tired of losing. <laughs> well, yeah, losing sucks. In interviews with roughly a dozen top senators, nearly, nearly all of them agreed that they need to be hyper-focused on this specific cycle uh, because the Democrats 
have the majority of the seats, um, that they need to be hyper-focused on helping candidates who can win not only primaries, but general elections, referencing candidate quality as their 2024 motto, meaning they want to get behind people who are electable, not just people who they think the people want, but people that are polling highly, basically. Texas Senator um, John Cornyn, a member of a Senate GOP leadership and former NRSC chairman, has long had to contend with primary fights between the party establishment and activist bases, battles that had effectively cost them the chance at the Senate majority in 2010 and 2012, in addition to 2022. This sort of thing never goes away, Cornyn said, um, of primary complications in the past. Republicans need to make up their mind. Do we want to win or do we want to lose? I think it's that simple, and I think people are tired of losing. Yet some on the right are warning against party leaders picking and choosing candidates, including Scott, who defends more of a hands-off approach. I believe the citizens of the state ought to pick. A lot of these weaker candidates are often the ones who end up winning. I was not an establishment candidate, meaning he was not hand-selected by the Republican Party to win. Uh, Scott's um, fellow Florida Republican, Marco Rubio, wasn't backed by NRSC in the 2010 election cycle, but he galvanized the GOP base and defeated Charlie Crist, who later left the Republican Party altogether and became a Democrat. I'm not a big believer that you can determine who the weaker candidate is. A lot of people up here then would not have been the choice, Rubo, Rubio told CNN. Obviously, there might be some exceptions here or there, but generally the NRSC should be engaged in helping whoever the Republican nominee is to win the general election, meaning they should have report, um, they should have the support of the NRSC um, regardless, meaning the NRSC needs to start supporting all of the Republican candidates that are winning or that are running so that they can win. Um, unlike the last cycle when McConnell aligned Senate Leadership Fund and Rick Scott run NRSC clashed publicly over the approach to expanding the Senate map this time the two committees are largely aligned Republicans are betting that their preferred chances will vastly improve with help of big donors and nationwide fundraising uh, potentially an aggressive ad campaign in the primary to derail the weaker opponents. As we look across the country and look at different traces, it's pretty straightforward. We want to see candidates who can win a primary election and also win a general election. The map heavily favors the GOP with 23 Democratic and independent seats in cycle compared to just 11 Republicans who are facing re-election. But Republicans, burnt by their past failures, are well aware that defeating an incumbent is a difficult task and could grow more challenging in a presidential election year, especially in swing states, if Trump is the nominee. Behind the scenes, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is trying to limit Democratic retirements, meaning he's rallying his people um, in the Senate saying, listen, hold out, don't retire, just wait four more years, basically is what um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is saying. Michigan... Uh, Michigan Senator Gary Peters, chairman of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, was skeptical that a more aggressive GOP intervention from Washington is actually going to solve the Republican Party woes. 
I'm not sure who Republicans will put forward as their nominee, but normally the folks who get to determine who the nominee is are the voters in these individual states in the primary. If we look at what happened last year, those primary voters tended to pick highly flawed candidates, and I expect that's going to happen again, meaning normally who the Republican Party leadership picks ain't who the public picks, okay? Um, Cinema prepares for a run for a run and Republicans look past Lake. Blah, 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 blah. There's a bunch of infighting among the Republican Party because um, you have um, basically the new Republican Party uh, of people who support Donald Trump, and then you have established Republican leadership, um, and they're kind of infighting between one another. And if the Republican Party would like to gain control of the Senate and the House from the Republicans or from the Democrats and from liberals um, to be able to actually make an impact and to reverse some of this bullshit (laughs) that's going on. They're going to have to band together, right? And there seems to be a lot of bickering between Republicans right now as as to the direction that the party needs to go um, to be able to solidify um, the majority power in government. So, fucking power plays, man, I tell you. I'm honestly kind of fed up with politics in the United States, to be completely honest with you. It seems as though we're constantly picking the lesser of two evils, um, the shiniest of two turds, if you're a listener of uh, Epic Rap Battles of History. You'll you'll get that reference, which, by the way, if you don't listen to epic rap battles of history, you should do that. They're absolutely fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, politics in America, man, it seems like a fucking soap opera, like a telenueva or some shit. Like, the shit doesn't even seem real. It all seems like a fucking reality show of these rich white wasps who have become career politicians that just basically take money from corporations, grow their personal wealth, and just shit all over Americans. And it's both parties. It's not just one or the other, uh, which is why I think there is a current uprising amongst... And a lot of people are going to say it's a neo-populist movement. They're going to make up all these fancy fucking words. But basically, it's time for systemic change in America, and it is time for things to be different than what they've been. Um, because clearly the old ways are not working, the old ways are going away, and people's ideologies and people's um, people's thoughts and feelings are changing with the times. And um, I, I'm not necessarily against that, to be completely honest with you. I believe that I should have the right to lead my life to lead a life that aligns with my personal moral value set. I believe in certain things, but in terms of the greater overall good, I do not think that I have the right and or the ability to be able to dictate to other people what they can or cannot do. Um, I don't feel like that's my place. It's not my place to judge another person. Only God can judge I'm not God. I don't have that ability. 
And if the things that you are doing do not harm me or my family or people that I care about, what you do is none of my business. Now, there are certain issues that I'm very, very adamant about, like gun control, women's health care rights, a woman's right to choose. And a lot of people are going to say, wait a minute, you're um, a, quote, Christian and you believe and you're you're pro-choice. Yes, I'm 100 percent pro-choice because that is not I'm not a medical doctor. OK. Um, and I have had lots of conversations with people about the issue of abortion. Now, I, I do not believe that abortion should be used as a contraceptive, okay? I believe that we should be funding programs that give people access to education and also gives them access to tools that will allow them to not become pregnant in the first place. I think that's the first step that we need to take. I think the second step needs to be to not try to regulate the uterus. Um, if you don't have one, I'm sorry, but it's not really your place. I think this is a conversation that predominantly needs to be made up by women and doctors and healthcare providers because it is a medical issue. It is not a legal issue. I don't think it is a moral discussion to have. I think it is a healthcare discussion. <clears throat> so, um, and the topic of abortion is a very, very sensitive topic, and I try my best um, to stay out of it as much as possible because I don't have a uterus, I'm never going to get pregnant, and I'm never going to be faced with the decision to abort or carry a pregnancy to term and bring another life into the world. I would also never become romantically or sexually involved with a woman who supports abortion and who would just murder my fucking child. Um, and if I was in a sexual relationship with that woman, I would take preventative measures for her to not become pregnant because I do not believe in abortion. I think abortion is wrong unless the woman will be physically unable to carry the child to term um, where it will affect her physically um, to where it will end her life, it then becomes that woman's decision as to whether she would like to carry that to term or not to term, and that would be her decision. So that's a very sensitive topic. I didn't I wasn't planning on getting into an abortion debate. And if you would like to discuss abortion with me and your thoughts and your feelings, are you pro-choice? Are you pro-life? Go right ahead, check out the podcast description here. There is a way that you can interact with me listed right there. Click that link. Send a voice message. Send in your comments, your thoughts. You can call me on the phone. I will list my number here where you can call. We'll talk about it. We'll have a discussion. You present your evidence. I'll present mine. And then the winner will be able to say, Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I think I think a lot of people take certain issues entirely too seriously. 
in this country, and they're not open to conversations. And I believe in an open forum and an open line of communication, even if you disagree with me, right? And as someone who was in the military and defended the Constitution, um, even if I do not agree with you, I still believe you have the right to voice your opinion and to be heard, even if it is a dissenting opinion, which part of the problem that we have in this country now is people are not open to discussion. They're completely shutting down discussion. And you have people that claim to be anti-fascists that lean really heavily on censorship and deplatforming and silencing dissenting opinions and viewpoints. And they do a real good job of it because they say this is intolerant, this is hate speech, and they shut it down. It's not intolerant to voice your opinion. It's not intolerant to have a different opinion. It's being a human. Not everyone's going to agree on every topic. There are people within my own subsect and my own community and my own little corner of the world that I disagree with on things. We may disagree about our favorite colors. We may disagree about our favorite foods. We may disagree with what we want to order on the fucking pizza in my own home, meaning me and my family may want different toppings on our pizza, but does that mean that it's hate speech for me to tell my partner that you're a piece of shit because you want pepperoni and I want mushrooms and anchovies? Does that make them a terrible person? Does that mean you need to silence that person and make them feel like shit because they have a different opinion than you? No, it does not. And to me, that's the main problem. One of the main problems we have in this country is people are not open to discuss these things. They immediately become emotionally triggered and they shut down. They then become violent. And a lot of this, I think, is from the cognitive dissonance of realizing that the propaganda that they've been told may not be true. And this is both, both sides of the spectrum. It can be Democrats or Republicans, because Republicans are just as guilty of this as the left-wing liberal snowflakes, as everyone in the Republican Party likes to call them. Um, and there's this constant bickering back and forth. Um, well, you're a fascist. No, you're a fascist. You're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. You're a racist. And whenever someone does not have any substantial evidence to support their opinion and their viewpoint, they immediately rely on what is known as logical fallacy to stop the conversation. If you don't have evidence and you don't have facts and you don't have supporting documentation to communicate your point in debate, a lot of times people will use logical fallacy to get you to shut up. They'll attack your personal character. They will equate two things that don't have anything to do with the conversation. They will deploy these tactics to stop the conversation because they don't agree with it, but they also don't have a fucking argument. They don't have any facts. They don't have any data. They don't have any statistics. They don't have any documentation. They have nothing other than their feelings. They're reacting emotionally to the debate instead of having the debate about the issue, being open-minded about what's being presented 
and actually listening instead of just listening to respond. And that's that's where we're at in 2023. People are just listening to respond. They're building echo chambers. They're not open-minded. People are, people claim to be liberal and open-minded, yet they don't have conversations with people of differing opinions. I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody, okay? Now, if you attack me or my family, I'm going to kick you in the fucking face. I will kick your teeth down your fucking throat if you verbally or physically try to harm myself or anyone in my family, I will fucking murder you, okay? But you're more than welcome to come on my show and talk, and I will be respectful, I'll be calm, I do not react emotionally to conversations. And there may be these awkward pauses where I don't say anything, where I'm actually hearing the words that you say, I am processing them in my mind, and I am allowing myself to make a decision without reacting emotionally to what you're saying. I consider it a form of therapy to do this. But it seems as though no one else in this country is willing to do that. You have people on one side or the other that are just yelling back and forth and nothing is getting accomplished. There's fighting and bickering and yelling and screaming and name-calling, but we're not actually getting anything fucking done. We're not passing legislation that does anything for us as a people. The politicians continue to collect their fucking salaries without doing anything about the actual fucking issues. They're stalwarting and they are blocking conversations amongst the people while we argue about it so that they can continue to collect a paycheck that is funded by taxpayer money, and they don't actually have to do any fucking work. They don't actually have to do anything. They can go before the House and these committees, and they can sit around with one another and bullshit and rub shoulders with these other powerful motherfuckers and these corporations and these people and continue to get rich while they don't actually do any fucking work or do anything of substance or value. And that is both Republican and Democrat. They become career politicians. They get funded by corporations to pass bills and legislation in favor of the corporations. They are funded by lobbyists who are funded by corporations. Big money in this country is going to fucking destroy America, and this needs to fucking stop. Now, it should have stopped 30 fucking years ago, but the people like me that talk about it get fucking silenced. George Soros funds lobbies to get shit he wants done passed. Pfizer funds lobbyists to sponsor certain political candidates so that certain things that Pfizer wants to happen happens. We do not live in a democracy, people. We live in a constitutional republic that is now currently funded by corporate interest. And all of you are distracted by the goddamn theater of Democrat versus Republican when you don't realize they're two wings of the same bird, and that bird is shitting on all of us, the people. 
you don't realize these people are friends behind closed doors. When nobody's looking, the arguing stops. And they sit around these round tables and in these fucking goddamn alabaster towers and they fucking laugh at us. They fucking laugh at us. Ha ha ha, the taxpayers are continuing to fund our lavish lifestyles while we get rich and they struggle. That's what's happening in politics in 2023. That's what's happening. That's what's really going on. And that's something we can talk about for sure. I'm down 100%. But most of you are too distracted with what the fuck Kim and Kanye are doing and is LeBron the goat and all of this bullshit that is completely vapid and meaningless. None of it has any substance whatsoever. It is the most vapid fucking thing humanly fucking conceivable and they constantly distract you with this fucking bullshit the Giselaine Maxwell trial was going on but what was everyone paying attention to Johnny Depp and Amber Heard I don't give a fuck that Amber Heard shit in Johnny Depp's bed that does not fucking matter what matters is Giselaine Maxwell worked for Jeffrey Epstein who trafficked young girls all over the world for rich, powerful people to fuck. He funded pedophilia. J.P. Morgan and Chase allowed him to have a bank account there for over 15 fucking years while people were flying to his private island and fucking underage girls. That's more important. That matters to me. I don't care that Johnny Depp got drunk one night and ripped the door off of a fucking cabinet. What I care about is the fact that Prince Andrew flew to Jeffrey Epstein's island and fucked an underage girl, and all this was facilitated by J.P. Morgan and Chase. And J.P. Morgan and Chase knew where this money was coming from. That's what I want to talk about. Those are the things that matter to me. I want to talk about how COVID most likely did come from a Chinese laboratory, but these reports and this documentation has been suppressed, and this knowledge was not given to the public. I also want to talk about how Facebook, Twitter, and different organizations suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story to sway the choice of the American people because there was a poll that done that said 27% of people that voted for Biden would have voted for Donald Trump had they known the truth of the Hunter Biden laptop story. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the suppression of information, the gatekeeping that's going on by the media. That's what I want to talk about. We live in 2023. I have a microphone and a cell phone, and I can broadcast my message to the fucking world. I can have listeners of this podcast on the direct opposite side of the fucking planet for me. If I really wanted to, I could figure out a way to broadcast this message out into space, and fucking aliens light years away would hear this in 350 fucking years, if I really fucking wanted to. But for some reason, we can't get the information to the public fast enough for them to make good decisions, so they're stuck with whatever bullshit the fucking government gives them. 
I don't do a lot of heavy editing on this podcast. I bought a fucking $200 microphone and a fucking soundboard off the internet, okay? And I had a fucking cell phone already at my house. The technology is readily available for the rapid distribution of information. But things and facts and truth don't get reported. It gets suppressed by the media. And it doesn't matter whether you're watching Fox News or CNN. They're all fucking guilty of it because they're all funded by the same fucking people who are funding the fucking politicians. They're all in each other's back pockets. They're all butt buddies. They all sit around and have circle jerks at these weird fucking meetings where they have owl statues and they burn effigies and all this weird shit these fucking people are into while fucking working class people are having a hard time affording gas to get to fucking work so that they can earn a check to put food on the fucking table. Single mothers are working two and three jobs. They got OnlyFans accounts. They can't afford fucking eggs and milk to feed their fucking children. Men are being imprisoned and tortured at fucking astronomical rates because of the amount of fucking trauma that these that men have in this fucking country. We're told to shut the fuck up, to nut up, to man up, and to not fucking talk about it. And then you wonder why we fucking flip our lids and murder somebody. Okay? Why we beat the fuck out of a guy in a line at a gas station while I was just trying to get a fucking pack of smokes and a gallon of gas to make it fucking work. Because I'm standing in line trying to buy two Monster Energy drinks and a pack of Newport 100 so I can make it through the week without going into my job and beating the ever-living fuck out of my fucking boss. That is the problem in this country. That's what's really wrong with America. But everyone's distracted. Everyone's afraid. And it's going to keep happening over and over and over. It's been happening since the 60s. It's been happening since the 70s. We're being fucked by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is not a government institution. They named it the Federal Reserve to sound like one, but it's not. It is a privately held bank funded by shareholders not the government. It is not a branch. It is not, it has nothing to do with the government. It is a private bank. John F. Kennedy, President of the United States, gave a speech about this three weeks before he was murdered in Dallas, Texas. Gee, I wonder why. Muammar Gaddafi wanted to remove the privatized World Bank from his country. Less than six months later, refugees murdered him violently, recorded it on television, and streamed it across the world because he wanted to remove the privately held World Bank from his country and share the wealth of resources of the people of his nation to make his country great, to provide for the people 
of his nation. And he was murdered for that. These are the things I want to talk about. These are the important issues to me. I don't care about bullshit. I don't care about celebrity gossip. I don't really care about much of the things being reported. I care about real fucking issues people deal with day to fucking day. Every single day I have a hard time getting out of bed because I'm depressed and I'm sad. Because when I talk to most people, most people aren't doing good. Most people aren't healthy. Most people are sad and depressed. These are the things and the issues that I want to talk about. This is why I started this podcast, is because of this. These are the things that I care about, and these are the things that I want to talk about. With this podcast, I'm slowly developing a format and a flow. And I, all I did was I just started talking and sharing my opinion. That was it. And I think anyone in the United States or anyone in the world, as long as you have a cell phone, you can share your opinion. You can be heard. You can have a voice. And that is the one of the main reasons why I'm so thankful and so grateful to be alive in this time period. Yeah, this time period and this timeline sucks sometimes. It does. I agree with that. I'm not discounting that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, the world sucks, but it's also really fucking great. And it is what you make it. You can make this whatever you want to make it. And that is just fucking fine. That's it. That's the news. That's it for today. April the 10th, 2023. Pretty happy about today's, today's episode. I think I did good today. I don't know. Leave your comments. Send in your opinion. Share this with your friends if you enjoy it. I'd really appreciate it. You don't have to spend your hard-earned free time listening to me ramble, but I appreciate all of you that support me. I appreciate every single person that donates money to help fund this. I appreciate everyone that listens, that likes it, that responds. I appreciate everyone that disagrees, that gives their opinion. I appreciate every single one of you. God bless. I love you, and have the day you deserve.